Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Millions of Ukrainians have been forced from their homes since the Russian invasion began last month. And it's not just Eastern Europe. Some Ukrainians have been trying to seek asylum here in the U.S. via the southern border in San Diego. But as we hear from KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis, they're having trouble because of a policy from the Trump administration that remains in effect. Yeah, well, not just Ukrainian asylum seekers, but all asylum seekers right now. And they're coming up against uh, Title 42, which is a Trump-era policy that severely limited people's ability to apply for asylum. And basically, it allows Border Patrol agents to turn away asylum seekers at the border because of the pandemic. Now, the policy also gives them the discretion to grant exceptions based on humanitarian reasons. So asylum seekers at the border really have no clear indication of who or when they might get one of those exemptions. And what you get is that they try to cross over and over and over again. Like Ukrainian refugee Natalia Palakova, who says she's lost count of how many times she tried to catch an amenable agent. Again and again and again, like 40 times a day per car and per uh, on foot and uh, different uh, borders here, but nothing. Palakova turned out to be one of the lucky ones. Solis says she was allowed to cross the border just yesterday morning to join her aunt in the Los Angeles area. Uh, this was after spending a week in Tijuana. Uh, so right now she's driving up to L.A. to be you know, reunited with her aunt. And I think uh, just when I talked to her last week, the only thing she wanted to do was take a shower and sleep. That was KPBS reporter Gustavo Solis. Governor Gavin Newsom has announced $22 million in new drought spending. KQED climate editor Kevin Stark reports. California's moisture tap all but shut off after a blockbuster December. The state recorded its driest consecutive January and February on record. More than a third of the new spending will go toward what Newsom's office described as outreach efforts to educate Californians about saving water. Counties with high water use will be targeted with digital ads and a social media campaign. Last year, the governor asked people to cut water use by 15%. Californians saved about half that on average. So far, state officials have avoided issuing mandatory water restrictions. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark. An investigation into the federal women's prison FCI Dublin that was published by the Associated Press last month reported that alleged sexual assault of incarcerated women at the prison is so rampant, some inmates and staff refer to it as the rape club. 
Four former prison staff members have been arrested and charged in connection to allegations of sexual abuse in recent months, including the facility's former warden. Now, members of Congress are calling on the Bureau of Prisons to do something about the problem. On Monday, California Congressional Representatives Jackie Speer, Eric Swalwell, and Karen Bass visited FCI Dublin, where they spoke with the women unsupervised. Shortly after their visit, I spoke with Congresswoman Speer about her ongoing involvement with the issues at the prison. The fact that we have had a history at this particular prison of sexual assaults by the warden, the chaplain, and other officers is repugnant to me and it was the basis on which I went on my first visit there and then was treated poorly which just underscored for me what the problem was there and so we've now returned a month later there's a new warden there she says that she is committed to changing the culture at the federal correctional institution Dublin and I'm hopeful that she is going to be able to deliver can you just go into a little bit more detail about what exactly happened the first time you visited? Well, the first time I visited, the uh, acting warden was um, very pugnacious. Uh, I asked to speak to a number of inmates. They uh, declined to allow me to speak to them. Then when there was another group to speak to, they wanted to have uh, an officer in the room. And I said, well, then they're not going to talk candidly. So we then went outside and it was quite cold and I was standing some distance away from the warden and the guards and talked to a number of inmates. But it just, they were making it as difficult as possible. So then I called the director of the board of prisons and said, this is unacceptable. We have an oversight responsibility. And so we worked out a plan, which today worked very well. And were you permitted to speak with uh, the women during this visit? Yes, we were able to speak to them in a private room without prison guards or warden staff present. And they were candid. And there are great concerns about the facility. In fact, a number of inmates have said to me that this is the worst prison they've ever been in. And, and did any of the women talk about um, fear of retaliation or other types of concerns around reporting abuse? I could have turned on a, a tape recorder and heard that over and over and over again. There's grave concern about retaliation, which then speaks to the punitive nature of the facility. And there was retaliation after I visited and either the correctional guards who talked to me or the inmates were retaliated against. What do you think needs to be done here? Uh, there has to be a complete culture change. You cannot continue to run a prison in the 21st century that is only punitive in nature. It has to be rehabilitative. Otherwise, recidivism rate is guaranteed. So these women want to take courses for GEDs and for college credit and for AA degrees, and they have been precluded from doing so. So we're going to have a microscope on this prison and observe it and track it. But I'm also concerned about the conditions at the six other women prisons in the federal system and whether or not what's going on in Dublin is going on elsewhere as well. Congresswoman Jackie Spear, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be with you. Thank you for covering this.
Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Governor Gavin Newsom signed emergency legislation yesterday to nullify a court order freezing enrollment at UC Berkeley after it passed unanimously in the state legislature. KQED's Sarah Hosseini reports. The move is intended to moot a judge's decision to cap enrollment at 2020 levels until Cal studies the environmental impact of adding thousands more students than it planned for over the years. Berkeley State Senator Nancy Skinner says the bill would stop enrollment changes from triggering environmental review on their own. So we can say, yes, University of California or CSU or CCC, you better build on more housing. However, we have to tell the communities also, because the housing crisis is all of our making. But it should not be on the backs of students alone. San Francisco Assemblymember Phil Ting backed the legislation while conceding the UC was partly to blame for failing to properly plan for campus growth. I don't think students should really pay the price for bad bureaucratic decisions and a very poor lawyer. In a statement, the university said it is committed to addressing the student housing crisis. Save Berkeley's Neighborhoods, the group behind the lawsuit that prompted the freeze, says the poorly drafted legislation harms students, 10 percent of whom report experiencing homelessness while at Cal. For the California Report, I'm Sarah Hosseini. A bill introduced in the House by two California Republican congressmen is upsetting some firefighters and forestry experts. To learn more about it, we're joined by KQED science reporter Danielle Venton. Danielle, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Alex. So what is being proposed with this legislation? The two congressmen who represent much of the Sierra, uh, Doug LaMalfa in the north and Tom McClintock in the central Sierra, want the U.S. Forest Service to aggressively attack all fires and put them out within 24 hours of detection. Now, it's a little unclear what they actually want because aggressive attack is already the Forest Service policy. I spoke with Jeremy Bailey at the Nature Conservancy, who's a fire expert. It's a false assumption to think that we're letting fires burn. We need to let fires burn. He went on to say that most forest fires that start naturally are burning at a time of year and in a way where they're doing ecological good. But, he said, they're not allowed to burn. The easy fires all get put out. The Forest Service continues to be extremely successful at suppressing nearly all fires. Over 96% of all ignitions are suppressed essentially immediately. And the, the, the few fires that get away end up causing a majority of the damage. So then what's behind this bill? Well, these representatives were both extremely upset last summer when the Tamarack Fire, which started out tiny and unexpectedly exploded, the Forest Service had not initially attacked it, they said, because there were too many fires elsewhere and that it was too dangerous to send firefighters into this remote area. Here's what Bailey said about that. You could politicize a fire that you are not assigning firefighters to, and you could say, well, you're letting that fire burn. The truth is, is that the fire management officer who's making the decision has gone through a decision-making process and documented it. 
So his point is that this isn't an arbitrary call. This is a calculated decision. The Forest Service doesn't comment on proposed legislation. However, former firefighters have spoken of being concerned about the agency possibly being given fewer tools to manage fires or of firefighters being compelled to take even more risks. Right. And from what I understand, it's already a very risky and stressful job. Absolutely. And what worries me is that McClintock has blamed the idea of good fires on radical environmentalists. In reality, at least in California, it's radical environmentalists who generally oppose prescribed burns and any forest treatment, not the other way around. This bill also dismisses more than half a century of clear forest science. I mean, this is not controversial science. And I worry that this is an effort to create kind of a wedge issue. But our need to change how we live with fire is just too urgent for that. Uh, Say people like Timothy Inglesby, he formed the group Firefighters United for Safety, Ethics, and Ecology. He said that this effort represents a mindset back from the 1930s. We live in a very different world now. Climate-driven wildfire that is really surpassed human ability to control all fires, to prevent all fires, to put them out when they burn. And he said it's time or past time to start working with fire, not just for the good of the land, but also for our own health and safety and for the health and safety of firefighters. Danielle, thank you for being here and for explaining this important issue. Thank you for talking with me, Alex. And the California report did reach out to the offices of both congressmen. They did not respond to a request for comment on the bill. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Governor Newsom is proposing an Office of Healthcare Affordability to keep healthcare prices in check. The office would order the state's hospitals, doctor's offices, and insurance companies to keep their costs below a certain level. If they didn't, the office could impose a fine. Sutter Health, which operates 24 hospitals in Northern California, has been sued twice over allegations it gouged prices and discouraged patients from using lower-cost services. The healthcare network settled one of the lawsuits for half a billion dollars in 2019, and a federal jury ruled in favor of Sutter in the other last week. The California Hospital Association has voiced concerns that the office wouldn't be able to distinguish between good spending, like for mental health services, from bad spending, like for duplicate records or complex paperwork. Workers for California's Division of Juvenile Justice could receive up to $50,000 bonuses to stay on the job while the state works to close its youth prisons. That's according to a story out by Cal Matters. Since the announcement that California planned to close its youth detention facilities, the prisons have experienced worker shortages. The Newsom administration is hoping to keep the facilities staffed through June of 2023. Nearly 800 people worked at the state's youth facilities as of January of this year. If they all qualified for the full bonus, it would cost California an estimated $38 million. 
Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, March 15th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.